Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. It's fantastic as always to have you listening on and joining in to another fantastic episode. We are going to set our minds back about 50 odd episodes. And if you haven't listened um, to this next guest, you need to tune into episode 33, where I think myself and Josh pretty much just laugh for about <laughs> odd minutes. Um, as I, as I listened to his amazing Southern accent in California and um, Joshua Coppell has got a amazing restaurant called Pural Proper in California. Also is the host of the very successful full comp podcast um, and also flow hospitality in there as well, Joshua. So fantastic to be back, my friend. How are you? I'm, I'm as good as could be in the, in the situation we find ourselves in. Yeah. Uh, but as always, I'm really optimistic, man. I, I, I actually, shockingly, as I sit in this dumpster fire, I feel really good. <laughs> it's always a positive way. I really do. Yeah. And I mean, I mean that's, that's why, you know, I loved having you on the first place. I just felt energized for a couple of days after I talked to you. And, um, and I was really excited when... Uh, when the lockdown happened to some degree, because you released this amazing uh, podcast, the full comp podcast. Um, I implore all the open pantry podcast listeners to have a listen because it is fantastic. The guests you're having on the conversations you're having, my friend, but you know, for the three people in the room who don't, who haven't listened to episode 33 of our conversation and and don't know um, about you yet, like how did you get started in the industry and you know, a bit more about what you're doing now? You got it. Um, so I, I've been in the industry for over 20 years. Uh, I'm from Southern Louisiana, uh, right outside of New Orleans. And so it's, it's a big tourist town. So a lot of people get into hospitality. I started at a very young age. And, you know, some people go to expensive universities and graduate in hospitality. And I think that's great. Um, I, you know, the trajectory of my career was I, I used to mop up piss and vomit off the floor of someone else's bar and eventually worked my way to the point where I was mopping up piss and sweeping up vomit in my own bar, uh, which is the Massive American dream. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, after feeling like I had mastered uh, the bar and nightlife scene, I decided to pivot into fine dining because how hard could that possibly be? Um, that was nightmarish for years. But eventually I figured it out and eventually we reached, you know, the highest echelons in that tier of dining as well, becoming Michelin rated in 2019, Mm -hmm. uh, only to be rewarded by the universe with a global (laughs) pandemic. Uh, Thank you, universe. (laughs) (laughs) And and now we find ourselves here today. In March, I was a Michelin rated restaurant tour. By April, I was on the unemployment line. And by the end of April, I was a successful podcaster. (laughs) Um, And, you know, the show was born out of like a selfish need. Yeah. And and that need, and I know you can appreciate this, like I wanted to ask questions that like were were within me that Mm. I had probably been afraid to ask for years. And I wanted to ask like the smartest people that I knew and the smartest people that like I didn't know, but wanted to ask in a podcast gives you that opportunity. Yeah. hundred percent. Like let's talk about, if I can, let's talk about the shutdown process in March because when I talked to you last August, um, which feels like a fucking eternity ago, by the way, (laughs) um, 
Um, you were killing it. We were talking. We were talking about you know your restaurant um, uh, restaurant booking system flow and like that was that was doing really well. And um, you'd start up a fast casual concept at the time. You had pro and proper. You'd done a really good job of pivoting that brand at that point to you know to profitability. Um, you were doing really well, man. And then and then you come to oh, yeah. you come to March and you've got you know. As I've heard you say in other podcasts, like a really freaking big restaurant that all of a sudden you've had to, you know, to close down and I imagine a big staff base and all this kind of stuff. Like how did that just affect you initially? Like it must have been so tough. Oh my God. I was, I was obliterated personally. I, so I, I guess to back up, uh, uh, last we spoke, I had three three concepts plus a hospitality service business. Yeah. business. yeah. And uh, fourth quarter of last year, I sold the bar and I sold the fast casual concept. Mm-hmm. I wanted to streamline. And a- after gaining so many awards and accolades for Pro and Proper, the fine dining concept, yeah. I really wanted to focus on that. Well, thank God I did because, mm. you know, fast casual has been hurt deeply. Yeah. Uh, the bar industry has been obliterated in the U S completely. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, now that, now that we're allowed to do alcohol to go, mm. I don't really know what the bar industry will look like moving forward. So mm. those were two leaseholds, two personal guarantees that I got out of Scott free prior to the pandemic. That was a, like just a lucky, happy accident. Mm. Uh, so we flashed to March, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of owners that listen for the operators that listen. Like we shut down prior to the state mandated shutdown. So in the weeks leading up to the state mandate to shut down, mm-hmm. like I was on the dining room floor and shit got weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, there was like this tension and anxiety in the air mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, flashback to March for everyone listening, like, you didn't really know what was going on and you no. didn't really know like yeah. how to protect yourself. I have mm. a two-year-old daughter and a wife at home and a mother-in-law with pre-existing conditions. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't really know how to keep myself safe or my family or my staff or the patrons. Mm-hmm. And there were these moments leading up to, you know, obviously the business slowed progressively over that two weeks leading up to the shutdown, mm-hmm. but forgetting that, like somebody would sneeze, this is a 6,000 square foot two-story restaurant and somebody would sneeze on one end of the restaurant. It was like a record would scratch. Everybody would turn around. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it was just, it was a really uncomfortable feeling. So I turned yeah. to my partner and I turned to the team and I said, listen, and this was uh, two days before the state mandated shutdown. I was like, listen, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and, and the reality is this, Sean, like, I signed up when I got into this industry to like take care of people, show yeah. people a really good time, be responsible when it comes to food safety and all of that. But yeah. I'm not ready to put myself in like a life or death position where I'm responsible for like the health and well-being on that level of people in the midst of a global pandemic that nobody understood. Yeah. Exactly. So mm. I quit. I just yeah. shut it down and said you know, the team was like, when are we going back to work? I was like, I don't know, man, but I can tell you, like when people start reopening, we'll be the last ones to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Was it like, like I remember when I was working just before the shutdown and that's caused me not to work for that company anymore. Um, and ringing up, 
you know, half our staff base, the CEO did the other half and telling them that we're going to have to stand them down and we don't know what the, what the hell we're going to do. And then the next day standing myself down essentially. Like how, how did your staff take it? Because I've never had, I've, I've done some pretty tough things in my time, including liquidating a business of my own and talking to staff about that. Like, I don't think anything will be worse than that time in March and standing and ringing all those staff members and shutting them down like, and standing them down. Like how did your staff take it, man? Because I know, I know what kind of environment you would have had in and proper, even though I've never stood foot in it, you know, like I understand it would be an amazing environment to work in. Like, it's very familial. It? So, mm. you know, if you could envision a scenario where I'm standing on a stage in front of a podium and, I'm wearing a tuxedo with a top hat and tails. And like, <laughs> I let these people that have worked for me for years know that, you know, they are no longer employed. It was never really, it was never that for yeah. me. Yeah. So like, I had always been so incredibly human with them and had always freely communicated in a way that they, they knew that I was fallible and I wasn't right. And when I had the answers, I was very confident. And when I didn't, I said I didn't. And yeah. so, you know, we ended up in really weird situations. I'll give you a great example. You know, we called everyone in, we issued everyone their final checks. Everyone was furloughed. And, you know, I was like, you need to go online today. You need to apply for unemployment. Like there are these steps you need to take to make sure that, you know, you're able to get the money that you need when you need it. And like, as they're all standing there, you know, they're like, well, how do I file for unemployment? And I was like, <laughs> here, you can watch me do it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we all, I've never done we it all, Right. So, you know, so we all crowded into the office and everyone watched me file for unemployment. And then I sat with them while they did it as well, because it, it, it's a, it's a familial relationship. And so rather than me being a parent guiding them on their path, yeah, I'm an older brother that's 10 years older than them and, yeah. and yeah. trying to, you know, trying to sort it out myself. I was, I was adamant that they shouldn't expect to come back to work in 30 days, mm-hmm. which between, between when I shut it down and when, when I laid off the staff, there was three or four days and that was mm-hmm. three or four days when they did the statewide shutdown. So they were like, oh, we'll be back to work by the end of April. And I turned to everyone. I was like, yeah, man, like, I don't know shit about shit. <laughs> but if I was a betting man, <laughs> I'd say that we're probably looking at June or July. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And because I think it's important, like this is not one of those moments where you want to give people hope. It's no. one of those moments where you want to give people strategy and confidence in their own abilities and say, you know, this is a shit storm. So yeah. I turned to everyone and I said, you know, and look, this is, this is the podcast that gets me sued. I said, don't pay your landlord. Yeah. Don't pay your car payment. Don't yeah. pay your insurance. Cash yeah. is king. Yes. So, Keep it all, take as much as you can, only pay what you need to pay mm-hmm. and do that for as long as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And if you need money, call me. Because like that's, that's that and, and no bullshit, like that's, that's the advice I gave myself. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's how I was going to weather the storm, mm-hmm. personally and professionally. You know, yeah. I called my landlord the day I shut down and I was like, listen, bro, like rent's due in two weeks. You're not getting it. I don't yeah. really know where this leaves us, mm. but we are in the midst of a global pandemic. Mm. And, and 
you know, I've done my best to be as honest, as transparent and as communicative as possible with everyone. Yeah. How was that conversation ringing the landlord? If I can ask you, like, I mean, really unpleasant. Yeah. Um, he, he was as nice as he could possibly be about it, yeah. but yeah. And I'll speak for all landlords out there. I think that landlords saw that it was a really tough time out there for tenants Mm-hmm. not realizing it was a really tough time for them too. Yeah, 100%. And so, you know, landlords have always had this strategic advantage that when your business does well, they get paid. And mm. when your business does poorly, they get paid, <laughs> right? Yes. And this is, this is not that. And no, so, no, it's a totally you know, different it's, situation. It's that moment, for all the parents out there, it's that moment when your child realizes something for the first time. Like that's the moment you're, you're everyone's having with their landlord where you're like, like Oh no, you're going to lose, you're going to lose a lot of money on this deal. And they're like, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah. You're going to lose a shit ton of money on this. Oh, well there's a personal guarantee attached to it. Well, I don't have any money either. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. What? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, no, it, it's this is a situation where everyone is going to have to suffer. Everyone is going to have to sacrifice. But if we all remember that a rising tide raises all ships, yeah. we'll end up in a much better place. Yeah. Let's let's talk about. Um, I want to talk about the confusion in both our countries. We we're very the the similarity between California and Victoria in Australia at the moment is the fact that. We're both in some sort of lockdown, right? Uh, as I said before the podcast, we're in a heavier lockdown. But we've gone from being locked down to being open to being sort of locked down in some way again, right? Here, mm-hmm. like there's only takeout and uh, delivery. Curfew's 8 p.m., as I said. And um, it's pretty full on. Like, how's it been as a restaurateur trying to navigate what the governor is saying what the president is saying to figure out what the hell you're going to do about your business. That's a great question, Sean. Mm. I'm not doing shit. So my <laughs> restaurant, I'm not, I'm yeah. not going to do anything. My yeah. restaurant's still closed. Yeah. Here's the deal for all of the restaurateurs that are out there that are like losing money, but they're still staying open and they're trying to figure it out. I respect and I appreciate that in this, this world needs that. That is not who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. I am the dude who's going to watch you figure it out. And then once you figured out a way to make money, I'll do that too. <laughs> uh, and and it's, it's, you know, I don't want to burn the cash. I yeah. just don't yeah. because like yeah. once it's gone guys, it's like game over. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think we can all appreciate as an industry that we all thought if we had money coming in, we were okay. But looking at a 60% permanent closure rate here in the US, we all had it wrong. Like, how did it take all of us, myself included, how how did it take a global pandemic for me to realize I had like three weeks worth of cash in the bank? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and that once the money stops coming in, the party is over very quickly. Microsoft has six years worth of operating expenses, like operating worth cash Mm -hmm. in in, in pocket at this moment. Mm. And like, we got like two weeks, three (laughs) weeks. It's scary, isn't it? When you've got such a big investment, you know? Here's what's scary. And let me become the least popular person in the history of your podcast. (laughs) What, What is frightening 
is like this race to get back to what it was before. Yeah. Because that was a shit life. We were working 80 to 100 hours a week to yeah. basically work for free. Yes. And, and that's a conversation that needs to be had. Mm-hmm. That's why I started the show. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense to me to go back to that grind. Who's ready to get back to who can offer the cheapest shit for the longest period of time? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. The rice of the bar. You know, and I see yeah. it already. And I, I just, it, it makes me cringe. It makes me feel like none of us are ready to reopen as an industry. You see this all day long happy hour and two for one and get, get, get 30% off of this. And it's like, you're not making money. Yeah. So like, why are we in this race to get back to the bottom of the barrel? Mm. Why don't we reach out as an industry and tell people how hard it's been and explain like, if you want, shitty food cheap and quickly there are places for that but for the independent restaurant owner that's not where we exist Mm. so you'll pay more to come to our places but we are a foundational element of the culture of your country we are part of the fabric of your neighborhood and we can no longer afford to work you know the goal being a six percent net profit which is trash regardless Mm -hmm. of industry Mm -hmm. and to no longer have health care and retirement plans for our people. Why does every other industry get it? And we don't, that's a choice that we've made because we are afraid to have those tough conversations with each other and with the people we serve. Yeah. I said it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think, do you think it's a very individual individual question for every hospitality owner listening, but do you think, you know, the race to the bottom and the want to the want to come back so quickly and, you know, no matter what costs is because they don't know any other way? Or is it because you know, and that is their that is their normal, that is their safety place, like as you would have had when you worked eighty to hundred hours a week, as I would have had when I was working hundred hours a week in a bakery midnight you know trying to just work shit through like is it just that well everything it's, it's, is shit around me so this is the only thing i can control like what do you think it's i think about? it comes down to the quality of the questions we ask ourselves i think it also comes down to the culture of the industry mm. uh, i think i said on our first podcast i was espousing the glory of working hard and working yes. long hours mm-hmm. and how how proud we all are that we work so much but you know now with the time that the pandemic has afforded us all, you've got to turn around and ask yourself, like, at what cost? Mm. I built a Michelin-rated concept. That's yeah. huge. Like, I would assume less than 1% of the entire population of restaurants has achieved what I have achieved. Mm-hmm. But like, what was the impact on my wife and my relationship mm. and my marriage? And, and what, what did that do to my relationship with my daughter? Mm. She's only going to be one once. She's yeah. only going to be two once. And, and can I do both? And in stepping back and being forced to spend this time with my family and being forced to be introspective, mm. I realized that I just asked myself the wrong questions. Instead of asking myself questions like, like great question I always ask, I even brought it up on your show. Like you, you wanna know how to get busy on a Monday? How do I get busy on a Monday? I brought yes. it up on your show and it's because yes. I'm an idiot. Because the, the question that you should ask is, do I need to be open on a Monday? Yeah. Do, yeah. Does my community want me to be open on a Monday? Because if I am discounting to drive that traffic, is it really worth it? Right? How do I get people in at 4 p.m.? Open at 6, bro. 
relax, take it easy. If they want to come at six, open at six. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because, or, or another great example is, you know, your, your lease rate and your landlord. Like, should you be obligated to pay rent if, if you don't make any money? I didn't make any, I mean, and you remember the story. Here's one that'll make everybody puke. <laughs> I lost a quarter million dollars the first year I opened that fine dining restaurant. Yep. Over $250,000. I paid rent on time every month. How is the amount of rent I pay not tied to the revenue that I'm bringing in? Not yeah. to say that there shouldn't be a base level rent, yeah. but like how is that dude making $21,000 a month off me mm-hmm. and I'm not making anything? Mm. And do you want to know who negotiated that lease? Do you want to know who's the idiot that agreed to that? Yeah. Me! <laughs> right? I agreed to pay rent for six months while I was building out and improving someone else's building. Yeah. I would never do that again. I would never do that. Mm. I would be like, yo, I'm going to put half a million dollars into your building. And I'd be like, cool. I'll give you two months free rent. And I'd be like, cool. You can go fuck yourself. (laughs) The way it's going to work. If I'm going to put money into a building, I don't want, I'm not paying shit till the day I open. Yep. And you know what? It's a buyer's market now, baby. We got a sixty yeah. percent closure rate. It's, a, it's insane, right? There's, there's, in you know, there's so much opportunity. I hate saying it like that because I, because in the sixty percent and the opportunity, I think, fuck, how many people have lost their businesses, lost their, you know, lost more than their businesses in this period of time? Like it's hard to, it's hard to think about. Do you? Um, it is, but hmm. it's also important to understand that that we're already in it. Right. Yeah. Good point. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you can't unring a bell. So this is where we are. And we have had, we have had months to, to, to cathartically look at the situation and woe is me and all of Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But as an industry, if we don't take this opportunity Mm -hmm. to fix shit, we're going right back to all day, happy hour, Monday (laughs) through Sunday, 6 a.m. till 6 a.m. Oh, you know, that's going to be the case anyway, Josh. I'm scared of it. Um, But but you can only control your business and the business that you control, right? 100%. Mm -hmm. So let that asshole do it. But you do right by your business. You have the most expensive burrito in your fucking city. Do it. Put in the best ingredients. Take time. Kiss every burrito and charge $30 for it. Make sure your people have health care. That's what I'm saying, man. Yes. That's how it works. What do you think is going to happen to rents? Because, um, you know, a lot of stories around the world at the moment talk about percentage rent, right? From shopping centers to, to high street. Probably less on the high street, but definitely, definitely more in shopping centers. But percentage rent is sort of what I'm hearing a lot at the moment. Like, is is that where you think it's going to go? Because it it can't it can't be you know two thousand two thousand a square meter here, three thousand a square meter. You know, like it's it's just not viable for businesses. You know, is that do you think that's where it's going to go, Josh? I, I think that's where it's going to go for me. Yeah, you know, and that's a. I'm not going to do a deal again. Like here's the landlord, full transparency guys. Mm. Here's the, here's the deal I offered my landlord. Mm -hmm. I said, I'll pay you 5% of net sales and $5,000 a month. And if I get back to where I was before, you'll make more than $21,000 a month. And if I don't, we're in this together, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's it. But, Mm -hmm. But like, how is it, 
how is my success or failure not tied to my landlord? Yeah. You know, yeah. and how are they not investing in me? Mm. And, and for the landlords out there, like, God bless you. You had a great fucking run, but those days are done, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I agree. I would, I would never, and, and I mean this, you can check in on me every month. Mm-hmm. Like, I would never sign a lease where I was doing any kind of TI mm-hmm. and paying rent simultaneously. Mm-hmm. That just wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I would never, I would never sign a lease unless the, the performance on the, the lease what was tied to my performance in terms of sales. Yep. Makes complete sense. We have an industry which is built on connection, celebration, um, you know, great moments in people's, in people's lives, right? Whether that be a brunch on a Sunday morning, whether that be a celebration birthday on a Saturday night with the 60% closure rate across America, probably a 30 to 40% here in Australia, like, what do you think that's going to do to communities? Like, do you think a fabric of community is going to be gone because restaurants are going to be away for a while and maybe never come back to the levels that we, we saw pre pandemic. So I, I can't talk about your market. I can only talk mm. about mine. Mm-hmm. I would say that our market was saturated. Mm-hmm. I would say that, you know, and this is, this just drives me insane. It's so crazy. Like if, if my parents died tomorrow, it, well, let's assume a few things. One, that my parents died tomorrow and two, that they have money. Mm-hmm. But if they did and they left me a shit ton of money, like I wouldn't open a law firm. I wouldn't <laughs> open a medical clinic. Mm-hmm. And yet we live in this world where <clears throat> people's parents tragically die and they're like, I'm going to open a restaurant. Yeah. Have you ever done that before? No, no. <laughs> but how hard could it be? I eat at them all the time. And so... You know, when you seriously though, and like when you oh, when so you look true. at when you look at the failure rate, a, I would say a large chunk of that are like first time people out the gate that have yep. money. And so you know, the real question is, with such a low barrier to entry, how much of the fluff was just thrown off by people that weren't gonna make it? Right. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. how many of those people were people that literally just opened or were about to open mm-hmm. had zero dollars in the bank like we all did when we mm-hmm. opened mm-hmm. and then they got slammed with the pandemic. Right. So they didn't have the flow to make it work or keep it going. And they weren't entitled to the government subsidies because they hadn't been open mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. So assuming that those are gone, it, it's I think that that it the future of the industry is, is entirely up to how people choose to spend their money, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you look at economies of scale and I, I don't know what your chains are out there, but here we have like Applebee's and mm-hmm. McDonald's and yep. Chili's. Mm-hmm. And like, if that's where people choose to spend their money, buckle up, baby. It's going to be a shitty life. Yeah. But like, if you choose to spend your money with independent restaurants and you choose to pay a premium for premium food and for culture, right? And for people that really give a shit about the neighborhoods that they go into, I think you'll end up in a situation where we're fine. Yeah. And, and just like, you know, I opened Pru and Proper six years ago when, you know, my neighbors were homeless people. Mm-hmm. Like there was nothing. There was no coffee shop. There was no like ultra cool tennis shoe store selling like yeah. $200 pairs of sneakers. There was no ritzy hotel next door. All of this trendy shit. Like when we opened, it was just us. Yeah. And yeah. so we made that investment in that community. And, and independent restaurant owners, they do it all the time. 
And this isn't, this conversation isn't necessarily about what independent restaurateurs need to do to shore up their communities. The question is, what does the community need to do to shore up the independent restaurant community? And that's, that's the take home. It's like, if you love us, if you want us to continue serving you, open up your wallets. Because money is the only thing that's going to cure this. And you vote with your dollars every day. Was that preachy? I felt like that. No, was no, 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 no. I, was... I apologized to everyone <laughs> But now's the time to have this conversation. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, well, I know you're right. But um, yeah, I, I sincerely hope that independent restaurants continue to hold, hold firm and concentrate on what they do best and don't just focus on price. Don't, mm-hmm. don't focus on, you know, Monday cocktails as we were talking about and two for ones and, you know, all that kind of stuff that doesn't bring brand. It just brings the wrong type of customer to your venue that isn't, right. isn't going to teach people how to that. treat you. Right. Yeah. And we've built point. this discount economy mm-hmm. where people want the taco Tuesdays and the wine Wednesdays and the Thursday Thursdays and the freaky yeah. Fridays and the, all of this shit. Yeah. Like just, like just sell your food. Sell mm-hmm. it at regular price. Mm-hmm. Everybody, and here's what I really think it comes down to. And I'm speaking from personal experience. Mm-hmm. I'm not like making a judgment call based on the industry. Yeah. It all comes out of fear. Yeah. Is really what it is. Like fear of closing. And now, because I've been closed for so long, I just don't give a shit. I'm mm-hmm. going to go back. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to price it in a way that I think is fair. I'm also going to price it in a way where I can provide the carbon neutral environment that I want with the responsible sourcing and the 401ks and the subsidized healthcare. And, and I'm going to do all of the things that I believe are right. And either the, the community will vote with, with me, for me, and they'll say, cool, he can stay. Or they can tell me to go fuck myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm good either way. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm just, I, I refuse to be in a place where like I'm motivated by fear. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's a big part of the conversation that we all need to have because I think we've all made really poor decisions on behalf of our businesses and on behalf of the industry because we were afraid we'd go out of business. Busy is not profitable. Busy is not successful. Yeah. Profitable is profitable. Profitable you know? is profitable. What got you to that place, Josh, uh, Josh where, you're, where you're not fearful? Because a global so- pandemic, <laughs> dude. Like, was it, but, but like, walk me through March and April. Like, were you fucking just freaking out? Like, how did you come to this Zen place where you're okay with what happened? Because when we talked last well, year, like, you were fucking killing it. You're busy as shit. Murdering it, murdering the game. Oh my God, it was amazing. Not only was my restaurant kicking ass, but everybody listening, check this out. I was at like a super successful restaurant services business. Mm. So I've got a restaurant and I've got a restaurant services business and then snap your fingers. There are no more restaurants. So I was like doubly fucked <laughs> and, that's, and, and that's fine. So like once I had nothing, I looked at the amount of money that I personally had in the bank. Mm-hmm. I, I looked at my wife and I turned to her and the first words out of my mouth were, I was like, don't worry, it's going to be fine. I could always just go get a job. Yeah. So yeah. I have never been without employment my entire life. Mm. Um, and it's because I've never been afraid to work. 
Mm-hmm. So like if I lost the restaurant and Burger King was hiring managers, mm-hmm. I totally qualify. I'd probably be the best manager they've ever had. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think whoppers are delicious. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I wasn't really worried about that because like I would be a garbage man. I really yeah. would. I'm, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I know you're not bullshitting. Yeah. You would really I, I'm really not. I, yeah. I just, I, I, my, my success in life has always been tied to the way I view myself. Mm. Um, and the way I view myself is as a hard worker. It's mm-hmm. someone that excels in any given situation. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't really matter what that situation is, as long as like, I'm doing the best I can in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I spent, obviously I spent weeks like weeping in the bathroom, but you know, it was during that time that, that afforded me the introspection. I needed to ask these questions. And then, you know, through, uh, through mutual connections, I got linked up with Yelp and they were yep. like, Hey, we want to do what we can to support the industry. Do you want to be a part of that? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, well, you know, is there anything that you want to do? And I was like, I want to have these conversations like the one mm-hmm. you and I are having now. Mm-hmm. And I want to do it with people way smarter than me. And I just want to hear what they have to say. Uh, and that's how it started. Yeah. I started the podcast. Yelp came in as a sponsor um, and they've helped us garner massive distribution, Mm -hmm. which is important because like, here's the deal. And I'm sure everyone listening will appreciate this. A lot of things could change, but we're still going back to 80 hour work weeks. That's just the reality of the situation. Uh, That is just, that is, that is what it requires to, to be involved in endeavors like this. And so my window to preach what I believe to be the truth and to try and educate people through the most educated people I know in the industry. Mm-hmm. Like that window is only until restaurants reopen mm-hmm. and everybody's back to work yeah. and I, sir, can go fuck myself again. Right? <laughs> yes. Yep. So, so like I'm looking at like a six to 12 month window, right. To, to mm-hmm. hopefully inform, inspire and like change people in the industry. So yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time crying, but I also spent a lot of time trying to figure out who fucked me. And as it turned yeah. out, yeah. I fucked me. Yeah. It was me. I signed that lease. I charged what we charged. I decided what our hours of operation were going to be. I allowed the chef to craft a 3,827-item menu. I did that. I could have said no to all that shit, but I didn't. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, then it's just about how do you do it better? Which is a challenge, right? Um, during your podcast, I've, I've, I've heard you talk to a lot of people from different parts of the industry in America. Like, from what they've said to you and from what you know now, like, what areas of the industry do you think will be the hard, hit the hardest? Do you think it's going to be, you know, the third-way coffee sector? Do you think it's going to be the fast casual sector, The you know, the fine dining sector? Like... What, what's your gut feel at the moment for California? That's a great question. Um, so I, I do think that fine dining will probably become more elevated and yeah. I think it'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think that the fast casual sector is going to evolve into basically the, this like three revenue stream business model where uh, they're doing like bodega style retail Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. they're doing a healthy takeout and delivery business. Yeah. And then there's also this third sector, which will probably be the smallest, which will be dine-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, sure. and takeout and delivery isn't just food, right? It's beverage as well now, because in the U S 
we can actually do cocktails to go. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think fast food will still be fast food. You know, people, they, there will always, there will always be space for a McDonald's as long as there are people that are motivated by money or the expedience of an experience. Yeah, absolutely. What about, what about sectors like bars? Like, do you think bars are going to be okay because of the takeout cocktail kind of thing or not really? Cause you come from bars, okay. you know, so I you're going to, you're going to know can, better I, than anyone, right? Yeah. I'm going to date myself here. So I'm, <laughs> I'm 41 years old. I opened the bar in 2010. And so over the course of the 10 years that I own the bar, I, I watched the world evolve and change through the lens of this like 900 square foot bar on Hollywood Boulevard on the Walk of Fame. Mm-hmm. And, and the dynamics changed so significantly. So imagine like I'm, I, I literally opened the bar and I think I had a Blackberry. I think Blackberries were still kind of the thing. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah, an yeah. iPhone one, but it really didn't do shit. This is before, <laughs> this is when there was MySpace, but Facebook yeah. was still kind of for college students. Uh-huh. And none of it was really mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, Foursquare. Foursquare had just kind of become oh, that's right. mm-hmm. about a year after uh, I opened the bar. And mm-hmm. I only create that context because everyone that went in the bar was either looking to get shit-faced or laid. Um, and that is, that is the bread and butter. That is, those are the foundational elements of the bar industry, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. If you can't get people laid and you can't get them shit-faced, you're in trouble. What I saw over the course of 10 years was I saw that the dynamics changed. I saw that people spent more time. They used to like get shit-faced, try and get laid and take photos of themselves. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. And that step one, right? Yes. Which then evolved to uh, them like getting shit-faced, taking photos of themselves and then posting them online. Mm-hmm. And then at some point it changed. And at some point over that, and it was a slow progression over the course of 10 years. I'm now looking at a bar room full of people and everybody's on their phone. Mm-hmm. And nobody's talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And they're all like on Tinder and these other apps. I know I sound like I'm 90. I'm not. <laughs> and I look young for my age. You look great, man. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Even at a distance. And, and, so, and so what I saw was I, I, I saw that there was less community within the, 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 the bar industry. That yeah. people were there so that they could be seen being there. Mm-hmm. And people were looking to, to get to know other people, but they wanted the vetting process to be streamlined. You know, I used to go to a bar and ask every girl out and get slapped. And then eventually maybe somebody would say yes. Yeah. Rinse and repeat. And I did this every <laughs> night until I met my wife. I had to chase, but that's, that's, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> Uh, worth the chase. My God, she made me work for it. And so that's, that was the nature of the beast. But now people don't want that rejection anymore, right? No, so now, you know, they pre-vet, they're meeting people that they already met online at mm-hmm. the bar. And, mm-hmm. and so there, there's less interaction, less meaningful interaction. Uh, and the stakes are much lower. Mm. So I, I say all of that to say this. I don't know how important the bar scene is anymore. If, if people are able to get cocktails to go at home, if they've been, you know, accustomed to being at home or house parties for the last year and a half. Yeah. Uh, and, and now that, now that alcohol sales have, have really evolved within the restaurant sector, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what place there is for a place that doesn't serve food and only serves booze. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? 
Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I'm thinking so many things from that. And, and you know, are we going to lose people? Like, where are first dates going to happen? You know, all those kind of things. Like, I'm, I'm sure they'll still happen in hospitality. It's just be, it's just going to shift. You know, is is the new, is the new place to meet people at, um, at a house party that your your friends have. You know, because right. house, party, house parties are now the big thing rather than going to a bar with a whole lot of people you don't know. Like, you know, it's um. Super well, and you also have the opportunity if you're having a house party. Let's look at the evolution of the industry. Mm. Uh, a buddy of mine, Matt Landis, who I actually had on the show, uh, had like a cocktail events company, and they just started doing like booze food trucks. Yeah, right. I heard, I heard that. So, mm-hmm. a brilliant, brilliant mm-hmm. guy. So mm-hmm. you can sign up for a pack. The little truck drives up to your house and drops it off, <laughs> or they can just pull the truck out front of your house party and serve you guys that way. Wow. So. It, it just, people are going to have more options and people are also used to being at home. Yeah. It's also really hard to sell a, a, you know, a cup of Jack Daniels and Diet Coke for $12. <laughs> now that people know that the bottle only costs 29. <laughs> I think, yeah, hundred percent. So, you know, do I think people are still going to spend the same amount of money in hospitality? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do I think they'll spend it in different ways. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mate, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Um, I've got I've got one final question before I um, let you leave. You're doing, you know, so many amazing things at the moment. Obviously, with the Full Comp Podcast, um, you've become an even bigger voice for the industry. Like, what's what's next for you? What are you excited about? You know, what are you what are you looking forward to? That's going to be in your pathway. Do you think? So to open the kimono completely. <laughs> yes. Um, here, here's like just being straight up with you and everybody else listening. I don't know what the future holds. I don't mm-hmm. know what it holds for us as an industry, for me as a restaurateur, for my, my specific restaurant, mm-hmm. for my hospitality services business. Mm-hmm. All I know is that there, there is a way to be of service. And so I will do that. And so now what I am trying to do is host the conversation. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to do is build an audience and through that audience build community Mm -hmm. and through that community affect change. Mm -hmm. And if I'm able to do that, I know that when the time comes and the path is illuminated, Mm -hmm. I know that I will have the community that I need and the support that I need and the information that I need to be able to make the right decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, To dumb it down or to, to describe it artfully um i am i am just like kind of waiting in this in this pool of uncertainty waiting to see what's going to happen next while trying Mm -hmm. to be of service to others yeah we're doing a great job of that my friend um josh what's the best way that people would find out about everything that you're doing all the great stuff Super simple. Go to my website, joshcopel.com, J-O-S-H-K-O-P-E-L.com. Beautiful, man. As always, linked up in the bio of this podcast, Josh Copel. Thanks so much for your time. Love you to death, brother. Thank you so much.